We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here. They will help you with everything you need to know financial. All you have to do is call 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. We are planning your financial future. If you want to reach Andy and Don from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. via the net, you can check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can also ask a question there via the list. Listener inquiry button. All right. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, good to good see morning, you all. Scott. Scott. Nice to see you. Uh, first topic today: Why do we need stocks in retirement? Are we normally cashing out by then? Or well, you know what? It was kind of that rule of thumb all the time. Uh, you you take your risk, so to speak, when you're younger, right? And as you get older, you you start divesting of stocks. Mm-hmm. And by the time you're ready to retire, you you have a lot less stocks than you do, of course, say when you're 35. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of gone flipped on its head a little bit. Um, one, the rule of thumb way back was kind of interesting. We've been doing this for you know 30 years now is you take your age and that's the amount of money you should have in fixed income as a percentage. Mm. So if you're 50, you should have 50% fixed income, which is things that pay interest like GICs, bonds, mortgages, um, you know, very conservative investments. Mm-hmm. And you'd have the other 50% in equities. Well, then when you turn 60, you'd have 60% fixed income mm-hmm. and 40% in equities. And that's kind of the rule of thumb. And then 70, of course, you go 70, 30. And by the time you hit 100, it's 100% in yeah. fixed income, none. <clears throat> and it just it's just an easy way. I think, uh, unfortunately, what happens is, you know, it, you can't pigeonhole these things. Everybody's situation is so different. Yeah. In fact, I spoke to a 91-year-old this past week. Wow. And he is... Uh, Oh, certainly financially independent. He's been a client of mine now for 30 years. Yeah. I met him in my s- second year in the business. And he's you know, certainly wealthier than he's ever been. And the biggest thing now, he's not, really re- he's not investing for himself anymore. Mm. He's investing for the next generation. Yeah. Why would you want to have all your money in things that pay- are in fixed income? Yeah. Based on that theory, yeah. he should have about 10% equities and 90% in fixed income. Right. In fact, he's more, he's certainly the other way around. He's 90% in equities and maybe 10% fixed income. Really? Because he, he doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. Yeah. He's all in. He's all in, all yeah. in. But it, it doesn't matter to him. It's not his money, really. It's yeah. his beneficiary's money. Yeah. So, and they're a lot younger. Yeah. So you're almost investing f- on their behalf. Now. Yeah, good point. And they may live another 50 years. Mm-hmm. So you have to really take a careful look at your investing. And, and really with interest rates, you go back to 1990, probably when they made these kind of rules, the bond yields... Canada bond yields were 10%. Mm-hmm. 2017, last year, they're 1.5% for those 10-year bonds. They've just crept over 2% again. Mm-hmm. Okay, but again, it basically have kept about the same as inflation. Yeah. So you're really not gaining anything. Um, on the other hand, certainly you, you, sh- you got to look at equities have done extremely well against inflation. Mm-hmm. And they generally average about 6%. If you take a look at the 200-year average, people always say, what's the market going to do? Well, it never ends up averaging 2% above inflation, but that is the average. Yeah. Okay, so last year might have been, in the U.S., it was like 16%. But, you know, inflation was 2 so it should have done 8 Well, mm. there'll be a year, I'm sure they'll offset, that will be a negative year, and you'll get back to your, your two, 6% above inflation. Mm-hmm. So the, really way, the way you got to look at things is create three buckets. And you have one bucket, which is long-term. And in that bucket, it would be mainly equities, mm-hmm. okay? And what that would do is you don't have to worry about the fluctuations of that bucket. Who cares if it goes up or down 20%, mm-hmm. okay? Because it's long-term. You're not going to be using it anyway. And what a great hedge against inflation. Mm-hmm. 
Inflation doesn't seem like a big deal because it's only 2% or not even, 1.6 last year, but it just <clears throat> gnaws away at it. Yeah. You know? And I'll give an example in a second. The other part with equities is you're, um, you're earning, if it's in a non-registered portfolio, it's earning capital gains. Mm-hmm. So you get to dictate when you're going to pay tax on that. As opposed to if it was interest income or even equities that pay dividends, which I know Andy's going to be talking about shortly, then you have to pay the tax on that every year. And this could have you know, devastating effects on your old age security if you're, if you're past 65 years old. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, and probably the most important right now, is the, uh, the longevity risk. Mm. You know, right now, back in 1990, life expectancy was 77 years old. Yeah. Now it's 82. Hmm. And it's kind of interesting, if you hit 65, people living a lot longer past that time. It's all yeah. the ones that died before 65. Yeah. So you're seeing a, you know, a, a, a woman, non-smoker, is averages uh, 87 yeah. if they hit 65. Yeah. And we're seeing that number climb and climb. In fact, mm. the fastest growing area of the population is people over 100. That's amazing. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah. Like I said, they don't even put that in that the That changes the whole ball game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Free, you know. My parents often say that. I didn't know I'd live this long. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and money's like that. You've got to take a better care of yourself financially and, and invest in equities. Mm-hmm. So that would be the long-term bucket. And depending on your, your situation, like I, w- I was explaining that 91-year-old, well, he has enough other income mm. that he can afford a lot of his n- net worth in the long-term bucket. Mm-hmm. He's not using the money. So let it grow. How long has he been retired? He's been retired for 28 years coming up. Cool. Wow. <laughs> Worked for 40 yeah. at uh, a steel factory right here in Hamilton. Yeah. And then uh, he's since been uh, retired ever since. So Good for him. He, he's still got to live to over 100 to go his the same amount of working years as he did 100 <laughs> as he did uh, That's in retirement. That's probably possible. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Um, so second bucket would be the medium term. And of course, that's money that you say, okay, I need an income stream. I might need it down the road, say within five years to buy a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe a major repair or I'm going to get that RV five years from now or a new boat or, or something, a major purchase or an income stream. Bonds are fantastic for that. They'll give you an income stream, mm-hmm. GICs, mortgages, um, commercial real estate, even re- uh, even rental real estate, even a, um, home real estate where it's being rented. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, dividend stocks is another very good um, way of receiving income. And then again, you get the dividend tax credit with the dividend stocks. So you get a bit of a tax preference there on the non-registered money. Far more secure. It doesn't have the same ups and downs. It still does have up and ups and downs. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But nothing compared to straight equities. Right. And the third bucket is short term. And this is where I find the greediness comes in. People say, oh, I got this hundred grand and I need it probably you know six months, maybe a year most. Well... It's not about trying to make money on that anymore. Pot stocks. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> How's that Bitcoin looking? Pretty good. <laughs> Bitcoin. You know? It lost, eh? Yeah, it's, it's been yeah. getting hammered of late. Yeah. yeah, what goes up that quick can go down that exactly. quick. And again, it's who knows what the value of that is. Sure. It's whatever anybody wants to bid it up that. Yeah. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, the Dow Jones Industrial Average went over 26,000 oh, yeah. this week. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it... The fastest thousand point increase from twenty five thousand to twenty six thousand in the history of that of the Dow, and it happened in in seven days. Wow, seven business days. That's incredible. <laughs> now, as a percentage, 
It's not as right, big a deal. Right. Yeah. When it started at 1,000, went to 2,000 and doubled. That's a good doubling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. This is only 1 25th of uh, That's increase. Right. But still, impressive nonetheless. And Somebody was talking about how, uh, I believe this was Toronto City Council using Bitcoin to pay things off with the city. They were actually... Oh, seriously? It. Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? Does <laughs> oh. anybody want to go there? <laughs> that doesn't sound... Yeah. That sounds a little risky. I heard... Uh, our little Kentucky Fried Chicken was using Bitcoin to pay also. It was on Is that the, right? Yeah. 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 So, there you go. So there's companies trying to adopt this. Yeah. But it, there's Waiting so many. In. There's so many cryptocurrencies coming about now. Yeah. And I know we got off topic, but definitely don't put your short-term reserve in a, no. in a cryptocurrency. No. Mm-hmm. I, I need this money for my down payment, payment at my house in six months. Yeah. Well, then put in a savings account, a cashable GIC, um, something um, very, very conservative. It's not about trying to get a return now. Mm-hmm. It's about protection of principle. Mm-hmm. And so I look at these three buckets almost like you would when you're making a decision on travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're living in a, a survey and there's a corner store nearby, you know, how would you get there? Mm-hmm. Well, you guess you could walk there. Yeah, You could hop on your bike. It almost takes l- less time. It takes more time to go find your keys, get into the car, buckle up mm-hmm. and drive your car. Mm-hmm. So you likely would take a bike, perhaps, or walk. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to the office, well, unless you're, is, is Montreal's your office, you normally would drive. Mm-hmm. Take a car, maybe take a train. And if you're going to, where's your favorite place to go visit in the world, Scott? Wow. Someplace I haven't been yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's say it was Hawaii or okay. Europe or something sure. like that. You would take a plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, boat's probably too long, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And the same idea is thinking about investing we automatically know what vehicle we want because we already separate our, our mind long-term, medium-term, and short-term. Right. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to investing, human nature gets involved. Mm-hmm. It's long-term, yeah, I don't like risk. I'm going to put in a GIC. Well, that would be like walking to Europe. Yeah. Okay, it's going to take you forever, plus you got to go through an ocean. Mm, yeah, <laughs> got to swim some of it. <laughs> uh, and the opposite <laughs> side of it, yeah, I, I got this down payment for my house. It's short-term. What do I do? I want to invest this thing, maybe uh, take a, you know, a weed stock. Take mm-hmm. a flyer. Take mm-hmm. a flyer. I said, well, that'd be like taking a plane to the corner store. Right. right. And you don't need it overkill. off the ground. Yeah, yeah overkill. You're going <laughs> to drive right into the corner store, yeah. and, and next thing you'll be off the ledge like that turkey flight. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. If anybody saw those pictures yeah. of that plane that was off the edge. But at the end of the day, stocks and retirement work. You need to speak to your financial advisor, um, and I would say one step further, financial planner, mm-hmm. because it's not only about the investment mix. Then you got to look at what are the tax consequences of owning each of these these um, buckets? Um, whose name should we have them in? Mm-hmm. Whose name can we have them in? Can we split the income? And, and what about um, secession planning? Okay, um, if it's going to the, my spouse, okay, is it going to my kids? How sh- what should the ownership be? How about the beneficiaries of this? Um, should we have direct beneficiaries? Can we? Is there, you know, seg- segregated funds are very good for non-registered investments because you can have a direct beneficiary. And talk about easy. I had a, a client the other day call me up and ask me about these. And I said, absolutely. You, if you had to say, let's call it a million dollars and it was sold their house and everything. And I said, okay, I'm going to invest this money and I'm 80 years old and I want to go to these five people equally. Mm-hmm. You just put their names in it on a segregated fund, no probate. And it goes directly to them, a death certificate, the whole thing's done. 
Hmm. Okay. So there's the estate planning that's very important. There's the tax planning. And then, of course, there's the investment planning when, when you're looking at these. So at the end of the day, stocks retirement work. So do bonds. So does real estate. Bitcoin, probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and get the proper mix with a proper plan. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out the website at Andy and Don. That's all one word, andyanddon.com. Or you can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And on the website, don't forget, you can also listen to old archive shows there. As well, you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And you can check out the website, too, at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right. Five ways to figure out your risk. Yeah. And just sort of piggybacking on what Don was talking mm-hmm. about, you know, are, are you, if you're holding stocks into retirement mm-hmm. and in general... Uh, what what is your risk tolerance and what are you comfortable with and there's a my sort of caveat with all this is is that we we go through an, a sort of exhaustive process to understand what somebody's risk is mm-hmm. and a lot of it is there's some scientific parts to it so we have questionnaires and what if scenarios and then we then there's the sort of the soft questions like about your your own personal experience with risk and different types of investments mm-hmm. and um, and really at risk we we sort of generally most people uh, understand that the, the 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 less risk I take, generally my lower my return I'm going to get, and the more risk I take, I should get a higher return. Yep. And that relationship is true across the board. And um, and risk is probably categorized into three basic areas, and one would be conservative, so mm-hmm. somebody who wants guaranteed and very very safe investments. The moderate investor, who moderate risk, who who will take on investments into mutual funds, some stock positions, et cetera. And then the high risk or aggressive investor who's willing to invest in in stocks and investments that can have a dramatic up and down mm-hmm. with the hope of, of getting the big yeah. return over the long run. And so when we start thinking about in risk tolerance and it's uh, – and everybody is different. There's no doubt about it. The first place to mention we start is with a scientific approach. We call it our IPQ, the Investment Profile Questionnaire, where we run through 13 what-if questions. And, and that gives us a benchmark. And I explain to people, it, it's almost like if you went to have an annual checkup at your doctor and they said, well, before you meet with the doctor, we're going to weigh you. Yeah. We're going to do your <clears> blood <throat> pressure. We're going to uh, do some blood tests or recommend that as well. And just a general health update and overview. And that's what the IPQ tells us. It gives us a baseline and we can look at that from year to year to see has anything changed and then we get into the softer touchy-feely parts of risk and and that's where I sort of get into these five categories or five concepts about it and the first one is do you understand the market and the market of course being the stock market Mm -hmm. and you know there's a lot going on in terms of the day-to-day gyrations of the stock market most people tell us i don't really understand what is the stock market and so the concept of it is you know how do you how do you take a how do you take your investments and then risk it into the stock market and part of that too is how much are you going to be investing mm-hmm. right and so if you're investing smaller amounts then 
the payoff for a stock or a, a higher risk investment is not going to be a lot in dollar terms. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if you have a $20,000 investment and it grows by 10%, which is a pretty good return, mm-hmm. um, that would be $2,000. If that same investment in a more conservative only did 6%, well, you get 1200 bucks. Mm-hmm. The difference is $800. Yeah. So if you think about $800 for most of us, that's not even a mortgage payment. Yeah. For some people, you know, it might be a car payment. Mm-hmm. For some people, it might be a loan payment, uh, you know, but it's not, you know, more, our grocery bills are, are more than probably $800 on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, in, in a year's time, that $800 difference isn't a staggering amount of money. So how much risk do you want to take just for that extra little bit? Mm. So so if one factor is, of course, the size of your portfolio for sure. Um, and number two is, have you experienced losses? So in the past, we'll often ask, have you ever had an investment that went, you know, you put in $10,000 and it went to zero. Tell us about that. What type of investment was it? What did it look like? How did you feel about that? What sort of emotions were, did you have on that? And, you know, did it impact your financial life? Were you able to recover from it Mm -hmm. and et cetera. So understanding, or if you had some past history with this and often we'll hear a story, well, I gave my money, somebody gave me a hot tip and I invested in this XYZ mining stock. And I don't know, as far as I know, it's not even trading anymore. And I think I still have the share certificate somewhere. And then sometimes they'll say, well, would you mind checking to see if they're actually worth anything? Because they haven't even bothered for a couple of years. (laughs) And they've changed names four times since then. (laughs) That's right. Um, So that's number two of the experience laws. Number three, are you afraid of uncertainty? And if you think about that, so we might say, for example, um, you know, if you were going to have a job opportunity, would you want a job opportunity that had, you know, a lot of upside potential to earn income and commissions, but there's a lot of uncertainty. You could make not very much money, but yeah. you could also make a ton of money. Or are you more comfortable being in a salaried position where you know there's a regular paycheck and that you can count on and you're going to do your day-to-day thing? And so depending on whether you're more entrepreneurial or mm. less entrepreneurial, this also gives us some insight in terms of how you might respond or react in terms of your risk around your investments. Right. And number four is, do you have money elsewhere? And so, for example, if you had a, um, a strong and, and large pension income, you know, through uh, an employer or work, and that income was able to sustain your lifestyle and your living, yeah. you're, in re- you're retired, but you pension from Canada Pension Plan, old age security, your pension from work, no problem. That covers all your, in- your income and expense needs. So the money that you have in- on top of that in terms of savings, right. you're not relying on it in terms of generating an income for you mm-hmm. or providing for your lifestyle. And so your ability to take more risk with that is going to be a little easier, a little more sleep at night because you're sure. not worrying or counting on it. And finally, the last one is, are you aware of what you can lose? And so the questions around this are about not just putting it in percentage terms, but putting it in dollar terms. So if you had an RSP portfolio and it's $800,000, you know, you've been accumulating, it's, it's been growing for you and you've been adding money on a regular basis in a disciplined way. And I said to you, well, the way that money's invested there's an opportunity, there's a chance that it could decline by 25%. Mm -hmm. How would you feel about that? Well, I could probably handle it. But just to put that in context, so that means your 800,000 would drop by $200,000 and it'd be worth 600,000. How would you feel? 
That sounds worse. Yes. <laughs> Dollar terms, because now they, oh, man, yeah. how, how long did it take me to accumulate 200000 mm-hmm. I saved for over, you know, seven, eight years to get 200000 put in there. Man, if it dropped by 200000 boy, I would, I would be really uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. I don't know how I'd react. Yeah. So, uh, so those five things, so the scientific part, the actual questionnaire, and then the five sort of soft questions it gets us a good gauge of how people are going to react. And then the final thing I was going to say on all of this is that uh, um, we tend to be victims of the current market. Yeah, whatever's happening now. Whatever's happening now, and, right? And I look at, and I absolutely, I look at that and... You know, had we take that same risk profile that Andy just discussed at the end of 2008 or in the first quarter of 2009, yeah. when the markets had just dropped 25, 30%, yeah. and with all the negative news media, and you take the exact same test at the end of last year, or right now for as a matter yeah. of fact, when you just came off, say, a 10% plus year, mm-hmm. and everything still seems to be going up regardless of any thing could be North Korea everything's still going up we're mm-hmm. back in 0809 regardless of good news it would be going down yeah so there is that psychology as Andy said the soft areas and we try to do our best here now part of it's just experience for dealing sure. with people <clears throat> and we've seen well we've been doing it for a while so we've seen the exact client yeah. back in 0809 how they freaked out or how they handle it maybe they yeah. handled it very well yeah. and we know that it, that was a real good litmus test yeah, of their yeah, real, true yeah. <laughs> risk tolerance. Yeah. Because now they say, oh, yeah, no, let's go 90% equities. Well, it's easy to say that now yeah. because it just went up. <laughs> it's doing well, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it can't be the recency effect. Yeah. It has to be what really makes you tick. Yeah. And even with education that Andy and I do our best with, you know, there's still that risk, the, the greed and fear in everybody. And everybody has a slightly different risk tolerance. And people's memories are short. Mm. Oh, are that, they? That's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know whether yeah. it's political missteps that happen. We tend to forget about them by yeah. the time the next election Too much comes information. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the 2008 financial crisis is really getting into the distant past a little bit, right? Yeah. We're, we're sort of starting to forget about it. A lot of us, depending on how much money we had in the market at the time mm-hmm. and our personal experience, we're kind of, oh, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, that was different. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think the, the, the idea of the recency effect is a, is a dangerous one. And what, but what Don talked about earlier in the last segment, which is the bucketing approach, is a great way to address that. Because I'll often, uh, in times of, of a crisis or a financial crisis, and part of our discussions right now with people and listeners today if you're uh, uh, to the show, think about this. Your portfolio has been doing fantastic, most likely, over the last three to five years plus. Mm-hmm. And so you've been making money, making money. Um, the portfolio has gone up in value. Be prepared for the downturn. Yeah. Be and it's pre- been 10 years. So <laughs> even though the recovery hasn't been as quick or as as wholesome as we thought it would, yeah. uh, it, maybe people are waiting for that success before the mm-hmm. next recession, but that's not necessarily how it works. I know. And so our, my discussions are about, you know, you've got an $800,000 portfolio. The way we have this invested right now, we know that the worst 12-month period in the history of analyzing this portfolio would be minus 15%, mm-hmm. right? So that means it's going to go down $120,000, mm-hmm. from eight hundred down 120000 How are you going to react and what are you going to do under that situation? Yeah. 
and you sort of get a deer in headlight because they don't, A, they don't believe it yeah. because we've had such a good run. The yeah. recency of that, well, yeah. you know, they think, oh, he's talk, talk, talk. It's not going to happen. <laughs> That'll never happen again. <laughs> that's not going to happen. I don't want to lose out um, on the next big, you know, jump in the that's stock right. price. That's yeah. right. There's that FOMO, fear of missing out. That's yeah. right. So, so what we come back to then is just saying, listen, we, I want you to know that we have a system in place to manage that process, mm-hmm. uh, to manage that situation. And the bucketing situation is a great way to look at it. So we'll say, yeah, you know what? That portion, a portion of your portfolio did go down by 15%, mm-hmm. but bucket number one, which is the money you're living off right now, didn't go down at all. In fact, it went up. Yeah. So yeah. that's the port, that's the port, that's, that's the part that's important to you right now is what you're living off of in the next year or two. We've got a we've got a system in place and a strategy to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's our whole discussion on risk. And um, uh, but just listeners, be prepared. I don't know if it's going to be 2018 or yeah. 2019, but at some point we have to have a, a reconciliation or a correction of some kind. Uh, how, how do you, you react re- is going to be key as you can come through uh, this, through this in golden colors. Are people having a hard time realizing there will be a reconciliation because they're still waiting for it to come back from the recession? I mean, we're hearing lots of strong numbers, employment, job growth, what have you, but is that trickling down to the average Joe? Is the average yeah. Joe expecting a recession? Well, if you, yeah, Should, if you, usually that comes after really good times. Yeah. I think people aren't, re- we're not looking at this and saying, yeah, it's a great time right now. Yeah. And, and. Uh, I mean, our, from an investment perspective, our investment managers do feel uh, very buoyant about the markets, that mm-hmm. there's sort of a synchronized global growth going on right now, and mm-hmm. that's great. Um, but I think the, um, you know, part of, part of the answer to that is how do you, um, it's like I've forgotten the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually there's a, a recession of some sort and then yeah. a slow re- a recovery, but it happens relatively, I wouldn't say quickly, but certainly happens a lot faster than the last one did. We're really only seeing one right. or so years of really good growth. And now we're talking about yeah. a recession again, as yeah. opposed to five or six years of continual it's, growth. It's interesting in the U.S. right now, um, just before the 08 correction, yeah. about 65% of the people in the U.S. invested in stocks. Mm-hmm. Right now, it has not hit that peak. It's about 54% now. Yeah. So there's only- People 50- aren't even fully in yet. Or exactly. Yeah. They're not mm-hmm. all, and they're still thinking, oh, you yeah. never know. But We haven't and, recovered yet. And when it hits 65, I really get worried again. Yeah. <laughs> okay? But there's still some pessimism. There's a lot of money still sitting in cash. Now, that has been changing a lot in the last year and a bit. Mm-hmm. Because again, they're starting to see this massive growth, and they're thinking, I got to get in. Yeah. And that's when it gets scary. Because you get these, uh, the prices of stocks start getting expensive. And I always like a little dip to mm-hmm. get it back to reality. Yeah. Because it, it just doesn't go to the sky. There is some, you know, it, the normal drop per year in some part of the year is 14%. Mm-hmm. And that's the average. Mm-hmm. So somewhere during the year, it should drop 14%. 19, 2017 or 2017, it did not drop. I think it, the, it was a 5% drop throughout the year. Mm. So very mild year last year. There's no significant drops. The uh, What's going to be interesting too is that when you look at, um, you know, mutual funds are a hugely popular way for people to invest and accumulate mm-hmm. towards retirement, et cetera, and even into retirement. So the the performance numbers, and I hate to say it, but people are often attracted or, or focus in on performance numbers. Mm-hmm. And the long-term numbers right now, the 10-year performance numbers, which go from January 2008 to January 2018, include that recession, right? Mm. The, the, the financial crisis right. of 2008. So the numbers from the, for the, uh, an aggressive portfolio that was 
heavily weighted in stocks is probably around the three to four percent per year rate of return. Right. So the average person looking at the ten year performance is going, well, that doesn't sound. Mm-hmm. You know, I could just be conservative, and it's mm-hmm. not going to. I don't need to worry but about being in per, stocks. The nine year return is fantastic. So this time <laughs> next year, when we come back to the show, mm. uh, and we're now looking at the ten year performance numbers. Now it's going to be probably in the double digits. It could mm. be well over 10% return per year. Mm. And so now people are going to be you're eliminating at, the year or the other. That's right. Yeah. You get rid of that bad, bad, bad year. Yeah. And now all you've got are the good years following the reset, the, uh, the financial crisis. And now people are going to be looking at that and they're going to be buoyed in yeah. their risk profile. They're going to think, ooh, I want to get on that bandwagon. If yeah. I could earn 10% per year, that's, I'm in. Let mm. me let me get some of that. And then you begin to see, as Don said, even more cash flowing into the market as well, chasing that performance, chasing returns. And that's mm. something that is a you know a common emotional response to that type of uh, that type of performance period. The last recession, it seemed deeper, lasted longer, took it took a long time to recover. Because we haven't had the full recovery in, in or it's been spread out over a longer period of time, and this is probably no answer to this question. Is there any way to gauge whether the next one will be as bad as the last yeah, one? Good question. Nobody has that crystal ball. No. You know, and <clears throat> that's why you have to go by long-term averages. Yeah. And it's silly that you have to think that a, a year falls off the 10-year yeah. chart and all yeah. of a sudden it's better. Yeah. Okay, you have to actually understand how these things work. And this is where we're dealing with an experienced financial planner. We'll, we'll get that... You know, a novice person will simply look at 10-year returns. They may not even, they may have not even been in the business 10 years. They don't even know about that yeah. 08 or 09. They, they read it in some book somewhere. They didn't yeah. live it. We've lived through this. We know what the emotion impact on that was and, and how the tolerance has changed and how we had to talk people off the, off the uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> off the windowsill, if you will, and saving clients a, a ton of money because they stayed invested. Mm. And it's really important to do that. Uh, you know, so in the next section, I want to talk about dividends and the gross up of dividends. Remember when we used to say things were gross? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about gross dividends. All right. Is this, will this be happy? <laughs> <laughs> we are planning our financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Go to the website, Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com. As well, you can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. You brought in some gross dividends. Gross dividends. Oh, my goodness. It's first thing in the morning, too. Who likes that? Yeah, it's disgusting, really. Uh, it's the gross up of dividends that can be disgusting. Mm. And, uh, and you, you, it's hard to know, it's hard to actually understand the way dividends work in our tax system. And it, and it, and it certainly doesn't make it very, it, they don't make it very simple to understand. Oh, but mm. basically, if you earned uh, $100 of dividends, and dividends are paid from a Canadian corporation. Mm-hmm. So if it was this radio station, Chorus Entertainment, or it was a bank and you own shares in that company, if they pay a dividend, you receive that, you get a T-slip at the end of the year, and that $100 that you receive is artificially increased by 38%. Mm-hmm. So when you report it on your tax return, you actually claim $138 instead of 100 hmm. And then 
when it comes to calculate the amount of tax you owe, you receive a dividend tax credit, Mm -hmm. which is a percentage of that larger amount that now offsets the majority of the tax you owe, depending on your tax bracket. So it, it's really, yeah. it really is not a straightforward process, but um, the, the, it's called the dividend gross up. And, uh, and sometimes it can bite you. And here's how. We, I, I ran a client of mine who, um, she is now 71 and divorced. We'll call her Gail. Gail was uh, mm-hmm. a retired teacher. And so we looked at uh, what her income is going to be this year, and she's receiving a teacher's pension of $26,000 a year. She's receiving her Canada pension plan. It's about ten grand a year. She receives uh, old age security, 7000 a year. She's receiving some alimony, a mm-hmm. divorce of 9000 a year. And her RIF payment this year, and this is new, is going to be $13,000. So all in, those sources of income are $65,000. She doesn't really have any control over Mm -hmm. that. She could take more RIF. She's just taking the minimum she has to take out of her RIF. So she has $65,000 a year of income. Now, on top of that, she has an $800,000 investment portfolio. Mm -hmm. And this portfolio is heavily weighted towards earning these dividends. And so the amount of dividends, and she takes them out and she's using them as part of her lifestyle and her income, the dividends that she earns each year are $27,000, $27,000 of dividends. And remember, we have to gross that income up to be able to add that and be, the, to arrive at the taxable amount right. of income that she has for the year. So um, all in, then she has to report an additional $10,260. So on that 27000 of dividends, an extra 38% is $10,260. So why is it gross and why does it become a problem? Well, if you're earning, uh, if you're receiving old age security, you can only earn up to $75,900, $910 this year in 2018. So that's the magic number, $75,910. Any amount that you earn over and above that, the government will claw back 15% Mm -hmm. of your old age security. So that ends up being eliminating your old age security completely by the time you make 122,000. Mm-hmm. So 759 up to 122 and it's wiped out. <clears throat> so what that extra gross up was in fact doing was it was increasing artificially that $10,260 her taxable income which resulted in reduction in her old age security. So she's losing old age security because of this this gross up effect. And so when we did all the numbers all in, her 2018 figures look like this. She has uh, $95,000 of actual income. And then she had to include the gross up of 10260 So her taxable income was going to be at $105,260. If you subtract the base for our OAS clawback, 75910 that means she has $29,350, which is subject to the old age security clawback. Mm-hmm. That resulted in $4,400 of her old age security being clawed back. Now she's only getting 7,000. Mm. So she's getting 63% of her old age security clawed back. Yeah. So this is an effect, an additional tax on top of the tax that she's regularly yeah. paying. Mm-hmm. And 
what that actually translates to is her marginal tax bracket is 51.9%. Let's just call it 52% for round figures. So any additional income she earns, if she earns an extra uh, 100 bucks in interest, Mm. she's going to be taxed at 52% of that Mm. is going to be lost in terms of taxation and clawback of old age security. So what, and this is obviously upsetting to her. So she feels like she's taking, you know, two steps forward and one back in terms of the whole process. And, um, and so we began to look at some strategies around how to, how to fix this solution. So we began to look at the stock portfolio and what we understood about the stock portfolio is the 800,000 that she has had an adjusted cost base of 600,000, meaning that's what she's put in. The Mm -hmm. rest has been growth. So if she were to cash all of that in to say get rid of the dividends, she would have uh, she would have a two hundred thousand dollar capital gain. Uh, and when you earn a capital gain, if you earn a two hundred thousand dollar capital gain, here's a question for you, Scott: How much tax do I have to, on how much of that do I have to pay tax? Fifty percent, exactly. Yeah, yeah, bang on. So she would have to pay tax on a hundred thousand dollars. That would be at forty seven percent, forty seven thousand dollars tax. Plus, she'd lose the rest of her old age security this mm-hmm. year. So that gets wiped out. So right. that's another 20. So total all in, uh, $49,600 of tax. Mm. So that was sort of the background. And now I want to talk about when we come back, we'll talk about what was the solution and how did we end up saving the situation. Find out the rest of the story. Hang on a sec. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll return your call. And you can also ask a question via the listener inquiry button on the website at andyanddon.com. We're talking about gross dividends. Gross dividends and, and the situation where the gross Grossing up of your dividend income is actually creating an old age security clawback. Mm. And to to retool her investment portfolio and reduce the dividends, we realized there was going to be a big hit tax-wise, uh, almost $50,000 in terms of uh, tax this year to mm. be able to do that. So one of the things I noticed when I re- was reviewing her tax return is that she was giving to charity about $1,500 every year. Mm-hmm. And I said, is that something you plan to continue to do? And she said, oh yeah, absolutely. And um, so we came up with a, with an idea. And the, the, the strategy was that we were going to donate share certificates, donate the share units $50,000 to create a charitable foundation in her name. Mm-hmm. So she was going to create the Gale Retirement Foundation, or sorry, the Gale, the Gale Charitable Giving Foundation. Mm-hmm. And by transferring 50000 of shares into that, she receives a charitable tax receipt for 50000 But because she donates the shares and not cash, she doesn't have to claim the capital gain. Mm-hmm. So uh, we just eliminated over 200000 of capital gain. We just got rid of 50000 of it by donating the shares. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the companies in this that had a very high gain on it. So um, the result was that the $50,000 charitable uh, receipt gets a tax credit of 47.4%. So that generated a $23,500 tax savings mm. for her. So now we went ahead, we could go ahead and completely revamp the whole portfolio. And 
the savings were, and now her taxable capital gain was only going to be seventy five thousand instead of a hundred. Uh, her tax on that was thirty five thousand. We saved her with the tax credit twenty three thousand five hundred. Her net tax bill from the, that sale of the stock portfolio was eleven thousand seven hundred and fifty. She still loses her old age security this year only. Mm-hmm. 2018. So the total cost from a tax perspective and the clawback was going to be 14,348 compared to 49,600, which was the original sort of plan or solution around this, a savings of $35,250 in tax by doing it this way. Mm. And three check marks in all of the process. Number one, she's now going to get all of her old age security every single year. Number two, she's getting uh, tax-free income from a T-series structure. She'll be able to get that until age 90 for 19 years. Mm. And, uh, and third, and most importantly, she'll actually have more income after tax to be able to spend and enjoy. Wow. There we go. Good work. Yeah. So it was gross, but it ended up being okay at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and there's certainly an, a bit of a popular adage here of everybody saying, I just want to get dividend income. Yeah. And it's, it, and it is true. It's, it's a very tax effective way until you make over $75,000 of taxable income and you're over 65 years old. Mm-hmm. In fact, I hear retirees <clears throat> call it bragging. Oh yeah, my uh, such and such stock just increased their dividend. Mm. Oh, I reinvested. I have this drip program, dividend reinvestment program that bought me more dividends over the years. I have so much in dividends, not knowing that it's actually hurting them. Yeah. And they're getting the claw back on their OAS. Mm. So it's quite quite interesting. Sometimes, and, and again, if you just talk to the average person on the street, mm-hmm. they're definitely saying, just get more dividends. Yeah. And, it, and this is where the difference between a financial planner and an investment advisor, yeah. you need to have a bit of both there. It's not just making, it's the tax. Exactly. But I had an interesting uh, situation last week also, and a client of ours and a listener, Gave, er, their grandfather gave them a $100 bill that was printed in 1937. Cool. And I guess they got this about 30 years ago, almost like it was like um, an inheritance. Yeah, like, an and it's a nice gift. Mm, it's you know, yeah. it's mm-hmm. a cool looking bill. I hadn't seen one myself. Uh, John A. McDonald on the front. Really? Okay. Yeah. And so I said, well, what's these bills worth then? Yeah. You know, they, it's got to be worth a fair bit. And so actually, hundred dollars, isn't it? It's yeah. definitely worth a hundred. It's a trick question. But a collector will pay between one hundred twenty-five to five hundred dollars. Really? Yes. Wow. So I said, well, in c- just out of curiosity, had you had that hundred dollars in just inflation alone, mm. which has averaged three and a half percent since nineteen thirty-seven, you'd need fifteen hundred seventy-eight dollars. Wow. So yeah. you need fifteen hundred seventy-eight. It's the same hundred dollars from nineteen thirty-seven. Yeah. So that hundred bucks in nineteen thirty-seven is a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah that's, absolutely. That's like a, a custom-made tux. Yeah. You know, um, I said, well, what if they bought a GIC, say at four percent instead, all that time? Now you'd have to you'd grow to about twenty-three hundred. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, a lot of people back in thirty-seven, there's a lot of gold mining going yep. on, and people hit the with their picks and shovels, and they bought gold. Well, that hundred dollars in in uh, in gold, it was thirty five dollars an ounce back then. Mm. It's now thirteen hundred dollars an ounce, approximately. Right. So that hundred dollars would be about hundred dollars of gold would actually be worth thirty seven hundred now. Mm. So not as much I thought as I thought to be honest. Yeah. It didn't grow that much. Now, had you just put it in the stock market, hundred bucks, instead of holding it in that piece of paper, you bought a nine percent, and that would have been the Canadian equity market. Yeah. It'd be worth ninety eight thousand dollars now. 
Ooh. Wow, way to, way to take the shine off my, <laughs> off my neat new bill, Bon. Last time I'm showing you any of this stuff. So much stuff. for the mattress. Uh, and I got yeah. a, she sent me the picture on my phone, which I was just showing here. Um, a 10%, which was the U.S. stock market, you'd end up with 240000 Oh, he's making 000. this worse now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you got small cap stocks. Oh, no. Four hundred and twenty-two thousand dollars. All right, <laughs> so much for the bill. Yeah, there it goes. <laughs> Bottom line is, paper is not worth that much. Uh, invest it; yeah. it's worth a lot more. Good point. Uh, so, what did they do with it? Did they put it on a plaque and mount it on a it's, wall? It's then a, they showed me a picture. I know it's on my phone now. They, <laughs> they still have it. There you but go. yeah, they still have it. And I looked at it; it's not the best shape. It's probably worth on the closer of the hundred twenty-five uh, right, versus right. five hundred. <laughs> Might yeah. as well keep it. Yeah, just a great story. It's anyway. a great story, though. Yep. We've been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at nine zero five five two nine seventy one sixty five. That's nine zero five five. 29-7165 and you can check out the website and ask a question there or listen to old shows at andyanddon.com that's andyanddon.com thank you gentlemen Thanks, we'll see Scott. you next week Scott, see you next week